pray for her in a little while. Um, if you're visiting us today for the first time, if you look in the chair in front of you, there's a welcome card. Also, the offering envelopes are there. Hint, hint to whoever. Please, you're welcome to give. Um, that's one way we can serve the Lord, by our giving. Um, so if you just fill out that little welcome card and your offering envelope, if you're doing offering, and there's a box in the foyer, a brown box, big box. You won't miss it. Put it in there, and then we will be sure to contact you. We'll give you a phone call, take you out for lunch. No, maybe, or you could take us out for lunch. That's good, too. <laughs> So just um, for those of you who are members, who are part of this church, um, remember to continue your giving financially. That's how we're going to get your new pastor here is one way. We need, we need the offerings to come in to be able to um, help them with their moving van and get, yeah, good stuff. Um, there's no kids' church today. So I know some of you are surprised, but once a month we don't have kids' church because we don't have enough volunteers. <laughs> Everybody cry. <laughs> Especially the parents, right? Yeah, so, but kids, you're going to get to come up front, and Pastor Ralph's going to have a little uh, story time with you today, okay, about communion, and we're going to be taking communion soon. Big news. What do you think it is? Big news. Your new pastor sold his house right away. Yes, that's fantastic. So that's a sign. It's a good sign. Now your job is to pray that they find a place here. And that's not easy when you're over there. So please pray they find the exact right house in the right neighborhood where the Lord wants them to be, that they get the favor when they um, put an offer on a house, uh, that the Lord shows them favor, and they're able to just seal that deal really quickly. So they should be here by June the 5th-ish, okay? We'll just keep that in mind. Yes. And speaking of that, um, beginning of next Sunday, we have a gal named, I think it's Olivia, and she's going to be in the foyer, so come in your best dressed stuff and uh no just kidding you can wear jeans i don't care but she's going to take your picture and it's not going to be like an official photo directory but something that we can hand to scott and carrie pastor scott and carrie and then it'll help them get to know you quickly if they've got a picture so just come with your smiley faces and she'll be set up there and someone will grab you and say hey can you come get a picture and it's going to happen like tickety Boo. Okay? So that's starting next Sunday for a couple Sundays. Um, next Sunday, May the 1st, will be our last Sunday. Um, <laughs> yes. You guys have grown on us, and this city has grown on us. I must say, <laughs> having grown up in Williams Lake, we feel kind of at home in Prince George, and we love you guys to pieces. <gasps> oh, don't cry. So we're going to give our final charge. And uh, you can be expecting May to be an exciting month. Think of it this way. Don't, don't think, oh, now we don't have anybody. Think positive. Think preparation for the new pastor coming. Be faithful. Come. Fellowship together. 
we've, you know, it's like this snowball has been rolling. Let's keep it rolling. We're growing every Sunday. Keep it rolling. Don't stay home. Keep coming. Keep expecting. Keep praying for your new pastor. Keep praying about what God is going to do in your life as they come. And what's the next step for you as a church? I feel like it's evangelism. So that could be. So be ready for that and be expected and be positive. Um, you will have somebody different preach every Sunday. It's going to be good. Expect it. If you expect it, you can't get disappointed, right? So expect good. Expect excellent. And you're going you're gonna to get fed. You're going to get to worship. The team is going to keep going. And Georgia, could you stand up? <laughs> I'd love to, she said. <laughs> Georgia is going to be in the office here. So if you call between 9 and 1 in the morning, she's stepping back into her place, and uh, she'll be here to answer your phone calls and answer the door and do some admin-type stuff until the new pastor comes. So you're not being left high and dry, okay? Ah, there's so many announcements. Lastly, the Next Gen and Youth and Tiffany are in Kelowna. They're having an excellent time. Be prepared for some testimonies next Sunday, I'm sure. And uh, we're going to include them in our prayers today. And I know many of you have been praying for them as they've uh, been gone. I hope I got everything. That was a lot. Um, so how about if we all stand and let's pray together. Let's just agree together for the service today. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We just want to give you our praise and our thanksgiving. We want to give you our best, Lord Jesus, today. As we come into worship, Lord God, um, help us to just put away all the um, negative, critical worries, anxieties, all things negative, Lord Jesus. Let's just set them aside, all our cares, and help us, Lord, to just worship you in spirit and in truth to worship you for who you are. You are the Almighty God, the Heavenly Father, the Prince of Peace. You are a master. You are a healer, Lord Jesus. So we just give you this portion of today, Lord Jesus, wholeheartedly to love on you and to worship you and forget about other things that burden us down and concern us. We trust you. We trust you that you're doing a work in our youth, Lord Jesus. You're doing an amazing work in our youngest, uh, I think grade six is the youngest, uh, Lord, that this could be the beginning of their real deep walk with you, Lord Jesus. This, this weekend, right now even, in the service that they're attending right now, Lord God. So be, be with each one of them, Lord Jesus. Even though they may be tired, give them attentive ears to hear and obedient hearts to um, surrender, if that's what you're asking them to do, Lord, that they might just surrender it all and trust you, Lord Jesus. Um, we just anticipate everything that's going to happen in the service today, Lord Jesus, that the word will speak to us, that it will move us, and it will bring us to a place of wanting to change in our life, wanting to change something, wanting to tweak how we act, how we be, how we are, Lord Jesus. So we give you today and we bless your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God is good.
God is good? He is, no matter what. We always told our kids that. God is good. Okay, what's next? Worship. Worship? Okay, here we go. What a day that'll be. Have a seat, everybody. You know, that's what Jesus told the disciples. He said, when you partake in communion together, when you partake in communion together, you announce my coming. You announce it. Well, kids, come on up, kids. I want to meet with you, okay? Come on up here. I'm going to sit up here. This is like... Um, Okay, Gramps time. You know, my, my, my grandchildren call me Gramps. It's really weird when, when my 19-year-old grandson, he's way up here somewhere, and he says, hey, Gramps. <laughs> That's okay. Hey, come on up, kids. Gather around here. You can sit over here, too. Okay, wave at everybody. Okay, wave, wave. got to wave at everybody. See, wave at everybody. Oh, there's another one coming over here. Whoa, tiny, tiny. That's Moses. Oh, Gramps lap. No kidding. Well, hi, Moses. All righty. Hey, great, hey, kids? Good day. Miss your mom? You miss your mom? Oh, I bet you do. How's your dad cooking for you? Fine? Oh, okay, okay. Hey, guess what? <laughs> Hear your dad over there. <laughs> hey, guys, you know, today, oh, hi. Today is Communion Sunday. And communion is a, is a very, very special time for people who follow Jesus. How many of you know what name we gave to last Friday? Remember last Friday? Okay, that was Easter Sunday, and then there was Friday before that. You remember what that was, anybody? Good Friday. Good Friday, yeah. Good Friday. And you know, the night before Good Friday, what's the day before Friday? Thursday? Yes, it's Thursday. Well, on the Thursday night, Jesus got together with his disciples. And it's called the communion time, but you know what? It's also called the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper. It was the last time that he met with them, and so, for supper. And so he, they had this huge meal there. It was called the Passover meal. And there were two things that were really important in that meal, the bread and the wine. And you know what? The bread talked about Jesus' body. And the wine spoke of his blood. So when Jesus took the bread... The Bible says he took the bread in front of his disciples and he thanked God for it. He said, thank you, God, for this bread. And then he broke it and he said, you know what? Disciples, this bread is my body. This bread is being broken for you. So eat it in remembrance of me. And then he took the wine after the supper was over, and it was one cup of wine, which he passed around. We don't do that in COVID times, do we? No. no. But they did it in that time, and they took the wine, 
And before he, before he gave it to them, he said, this wine represents the new covenant that I'm making with you, the new promise to give you eternal life. How many of you want to go to heaven? Yeah, I sure do. Maybe some of these people want to go to heaven too. Yeah? Okay, we see those hands up there on, on, online <laughs> by faith. Yeah, and you know what? Since then, that's over 2,000 years now. Since then, the church, people who follow Jesus, have been having communion for that reason, to remember what Jesus did for us, right? And by doing it, we announce his coming. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. You know how, how Mrs. Carey, she came up here and she gave announcements? Well, one announcement she forgot to make. What was it? Grounds. Jesus is coming. <laughs> Jesus is coming. Coming very soon. Hey, are you excited about that? Yeah, great. Okay, now I'm going to talk to the big church for a little while. But you're still part of the big church, right? You just come every, the last Sunday of every month, you're kind of here with the big church. I hope you don't mind having to do that. Oh, good. Okay? Okay? How can I miss you if you don't go? <laughs> Bye. 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 Here you go. The message doesn't change whether you're not even a year old. How old is Moses? Oh. I caught another name wrong. Where's Jody? It's Noah. Reminds me of the guy who stood up one time. He had a word from the Lord, and he said, the Lord would say unto you, his people, just as Noah led the people of God through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land, all of a sudden he stopped and he said, oops, the Lord would say, I have made a mistake. <laughs> just as Moses led the people through the wilderness, right? <laughs> Sometimes we make mistakes, don't we? We're so human. And especially me, I know some, some of you are saying. Uh, but that's what Paul wrote, what I just shared with the kids. Paul wrote, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you announce the Lord's death till he comes. So we're announcing that Jesus died for us. We're announcing his death. We're announcing what took place last Last week, first, that first 
Good Friday. We're announcing that. We're announcing his resurrection. And we're saying, praise God. Praise God. Because of that, we're under a brand new covenant. We're under the covenant of love, of peace. We're under a covenant of joy with God, of right relationship with him. And we're going to be with him for the rest of our lives in his presence. I'd invite you to take the little cup, and I, I hope all of you got one of these. If you haven't, has anybody not kind of walked by the table by accident? Anybody? Or is everybody looked after? Okay. Just, uh, just open it up. It actually comes in two parts, and the top part is the wafer. And uh, when Jesus on that Last Supper, it was a Passover meal, so they were eating unleavened bread, and, and so this wafer kind of rem- re- uh, reminds us of the, the kind of bread that they would have eaten, uh, unleavened bread. And Jesus took that bread and he said, first of all, he thanked God for it. Thank God for the bread. And then he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus' body was broken for him. That's why he went through the agony that he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane later that night. Because he knew his body would be broken and it would be a terrible breaking. But he did it for us. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it so that we could be saved. Thank you, Lord, for your body. Thank you, Lord, for being willing to go to the cross. The book of Hebrews tells us that out of obedience, you did what you did. You did what you did out of obedience. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we partake of this wafer, and it's a reminder of us of your, your unreal sacrifice. There's no other way to really describe it. Unreal sacrifice that you were willing to make for our reconciliation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's partake of the wafer together. Thank you, Jesus. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is a New Testament in my blood. And the, and the blood, his blood, flowed down the cross for the healing of the nations, for your healing, for my healing, healing in every way. Do you know that the same word is used in the Greek for healing as, is salvation? It's one and the same word. So we receive his salvation, receive his healing too. You might be here today, and might need that physical touch from the Lord. You, you might just need that healing right now. Or you can reach out to Jesus for it as you partake. And also, you can be standing in the gap for someone too. Maybe you know someone who's, who really needs a healing touch, a healing touch from Jesus. And you can say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm, I'm applying your blood to their situation. You're standing in the gap for them. 
you're, you're praying for them, but you're also standing in the gap for them. So, Lord, we were reminded of, of the cross when we, when we partake of, of this cup. We're reminded of the, of the blood that, that flowed down your whole body, down the bottom of the cross, onto the ground. Your blood represents so, so much for us. Represents healing, reconciliation. God, it represents our forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. So we apply your blood to our situation right now, to our loved one's situation, to our world. We apply your blood. And we partake together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together. Let's continue to worship the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What a day that will be. What a glorious day that will be. Wow. Thank you, Jason. It's pretty hard to, to lead a congregation. Um, we call it unplugged or solo. And uh, so that's a wonderful. It's just a wonderful uh, spirit of praise and worship. Well, why don't you... Uh, look at the people beside you, or uh, uh, maybe turn around a little bit and say, yeah, howdy-do to, to, to somebody, okay? Say howdy-do. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, great. Super. Well, we, we do miss uh, Pastor Tiffany and the young people next gen, and we'll continue to pray. They'll be hopping on the bus any day now, any, any time now, I should say, and uh, be heading back home. They should be home about 8.30 or 9 or something like that, right, Jeff? I think somewhere around there. Right. He's not tracking. Okay. Well, I, uh, I went through middle school. I went through high school in Williams Lake, and I was... Very blessed that I grew up in a, in a family that loved Jesus. My, my parents, they, they just loved the Lord. And we were a, an extremely tightly knit family. Uh, I had an uh, older brother, a younger brother, and, uh, and a baby sister. And uh, dad and mom taught us. And uh, they, they taught us not only by what they said, not only by, by what they read in devotional books or the Bible, but they taught us by, by example. You know, um, they had such high morals, high, high, high morals. But nothing, nothing was, absolutely nothing was anathema or not talked about is what I'm trying to say. Everything was talked about. Everything we brought home to them from school, uh, we discussed it. I remember the day that in our cafeteria in high school, 
um, a girl, it was, it was tra- a, a girl, one of our students, was raped right in the cafeteria during lunch. And uh, apparently one of the teachers was there, and, and they just said, oh, let them, let them have their fun. Okay, that's, that's how it came across. It was really sad. Well, we talked about that in detail at, at our uh, supper table. We talked about everything. Nothing was off limits. And we had a lot of freedom. Because of that, we, we, we had chances to express ourselves in not only words, but just in, in, in our actions. We, had, we just had a lot of freedom. So the year was 1967, Canada's centennial year, right? Canada's centennial. And Williams Lake enacted a city ordinance related to this momentous occasion. And it was, for many people, it was a, it was a, a celebration. Okay, so the ordinance was that every male who could was required to grow a beard. And if they refused to grow a beard, and they could, and they refused, they were taken to jail, and the newspaper was called, and the newspaper would take a picture of them behind bars. And then they would probably get a little bit of a fine, I think. And, and if they refused to pay the fine, they'd have to spend the day in jail. And salesmen got an exemption, only, you know, it, it, they had to apply for an exemption. Like, it was, it was a serious thing in Williams Lake, but you know what, it was all done in fun. And everybody laughed about it. Everybody had, had a lot of fun. And, and one day, early in January, I had, to, I had a great idea. My idea was that uh, my brothers and I could join in on the festivities. We could join in on the celebration. So I went to Dad, and I said, hey, Dad, I and my brothers would love to join in on this celebration. And we can't grow a beard, but we can grow our hair long. Dad, we can celebrate by growing our hair long. And Dad said, hey, that's a great idea. And he agreed. And my younger and my older brother's hair was straight, and they grew this long, straggly kind of hair. My hair, if you can imagine this, it grew up this way. Like, I had, it, was, it was a bush. And I learned that I could, I could keep it a little flat by sleeping with my motorcycle helmet on all night. You know, and that's what I would do sometimes. You know, I'd take a, I, I'd go wash my hair, and I'd put my motorcycle on, and then my neck was cranked all day, you know, walking around. But, but anyways, it, 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 was, it was so much fun. Like, okay, so uh, it was a year, the Rolling Stones and, and other bands like the Beatles were becoming so very popular, and, and they had all changed from their little Beatle cuts to long hair, right? And <laughs> my brother and I were the only ones in high school with, uh, with long hair. And my brother and I, we, we did music for our school, right? We, my brother's a musician, and, and we did music. And you remember Sock Hops? Remember Sock Hops? Okay, okay, okay. Well, we did songs like, Hooray for Hazel, she put me down. Tommy Roll? Nobody? No? How about the monkeys? I thought love was only true in fairy tales. Right, right. Hey, I'm a believer now. Okay, some of you. Those kind of songs, right? And everybody would sock up and dance. And, 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 and we thought, oh, this is so great. You know, April, you know, coming into May. And, and I naively thought that this was a great thing. 
And everybody was celebrating with us, right? Well, I, I was quite wrong because church was a problem. Church was a problem. Not for us, for my parents. And we didn't actually know what was going on behind the scenes, but there was a lot going on behind the scenes. Wow, I learned so much in that season of life. It has stayed with me all these years. I learned so much about opinions of people. Opinions. And it was also my very first introduction to the whole concept of stumbling blocks. I remember the day so well. Dad walked in and he said, boys, I have to tell you, your freedom is causing people to stumble. Huh? Like, I'm not... What? Your freedom is causing people to stumble, boys. It's been a few months now that, that uh, we, we've had a hard time at church. And, uh, boys, uh, I'm going to have to cut your hair. What? What? Our freedom is causing people to stumble. Wow. That was quite an eye-opener. And it had an effect on me, both positively and negatively. Well, I want to speak to you today on the subject of stumbling blocks. Some of you can imagine that already. And it's really the second to last message that I share with you before, before we leave. And it's, it's probably some of you think, well, that's a strange subject. Well, it, it is, but it's a, it's a pretty serious subject as well. Now, I, I felt led to speak on this, really, because of this new season that you as a church are moving into. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time for you to move ahead. And you know what? God is going to bless you as a church, and you're going to see a lot of fruit. You're going to see people from every walk of life come through these doors and want to follow Jesus. And they're going to come with all sorts of wonderful baggage. Wonderful baggage. This is kind of a message to prepare you for a move of God's Spirit that I believe is coming. It's imminent. I mean, I, 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 I was wrestling with this. I thought I, I actually wanted to speak to you on how to treat your incoming lead pastor. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wanted to do that, but then... I, I thought about you folks and how kind you have been to us, and I thought you really don't need a lot of instruction in this regard. And Carrie and I want to say thank you. Thank you for that, because you, you've, you've just been absolutely wonderful to us and, and receiving. But, you know, nobody's perfect, right? And, and no church is perfect. How come there are no amens right now? No church is perfect. No church is perfect. Mark chapter 10, 13 says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. In the previous chapter, in chapter 9, 
Jesus, he's just given some teaching on the, on the first shall be last. Uh, they had been arguing about places of honor that they would have at the, at the great messianic banquet at the end of all times in Mark 9. So then he says, this is how it goes. Verse 35, he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. And then in verse 42, but if you cause one of these little ones who trusted in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. Mark 9, 42. Being a stumbling block is a, is a pretty, serious, pretty serious matter, don't you think? I mean, thrown into the sea with a, with a millstone tied around your, your neck. I started a, a series back in January in 1 Corinthians, and I'm really sorry I won't, I won't get to finish it. But, but last week, you know, I did speak on resurrection freedom from 1 Corinthians 15, right? Yeah, I did that. Uh, but, uh, and this week, and this week, okay, there's a great passage on stumbling blocks out of 1 Corinthians 10. It deals with this issue. I'm really sorry. I feel that, that Paul handles his whole subject of, of stumbling blocks much more thoroughly in the letter that he wrote to the Romans. And chapter 14 of Romans is a kind of parallel passage with uh, 1 Corinthians 10, and you can, you can have both of them going at the same time as we, as we uh, truck our way through a lot of verses in, in Romans chapter 14. I'd, I'd invite you to go there with me in your Bibles, okay? Romans 14. Before I get into the, the, the meat, the, before I get into the heart of this message, I want to make a few comments, just by way of introduction. You know, and, and I know, that there will always be matters of dispute in the church. Always. It's always been that way, and it'll always continue to be that way until Jesus returns. In the book of Acts, at the very beginning of the church, Peter was criticized for eating with the Gentiles, right? Uh, and then Paul wrote in, to the Corinthians concerning their problem, which I've, I've already mentioned, 1 Corinthians 10. Some of the people had been eating meat that had been offered to idols. Actually, all meat that was sold in the marketplace had been offered to idols anyway. But he was being criticized for that. Paul also writes to the Galatians. He says, stop biting and devouring each other. You know, Christians will always have different convictions on the questionables, such as uh, types of clothing for church, okay? Uh, or, or haircuts, or... Um, how your hair is dyed, or earrings on guys, tattoos. And all of these things at one point had to do with a rebellious spirit. I mean, think back. 20, some of you have been in the church a long time. Think back 20, 30 years. Rebellious spirit, right? 
But now, it's just, it's a matter of preference. It's just style. Well, then there's the, the whole subject of, of music. Oh, that's the big juicy one, right? Where's Jason? There he is. Isn't that right, Jason? Amen, he says back there. I want to ask you a question. Can you call a, a certain type of music sin? I mean, you might call it noise, but call it sin? Now, I'm not talking about lyrics. I'm talking about music, the score, right? Some people hate country music or rock and roll, or R&B. They hate it so much that basically they have established an opinion that it has to be a sin. And, you know, I, I get it. For many, that's an association with bars and, and immorality. It's an identification maybe of, of, of a former lifestyle. So I get that for some people. But leaving the lyrics alone, can music be sin? And, and some in the church would say yes, and there's no convincing them otherwise. I remember the first time that I went to East Africa and, and, <laughs> and preached in the churches there, I learned this lesson. I remember this one church in particular. It was uh, uh, in, in Kenya, and uh, I, I was about to preach, but they were having this worship service, and I'm, I'm not kidding you. I was expecting the Oogie Boogie man to come walking in at any point. I, the drums were just crazy loud and just, I don't know what was happening. Uh, the women were on, the, on, a, on a war cry, I thought, uh, you know, loud screaming. And, and, and I'm sitting there like, and as I was, was starting to get past my my culture, I suppose, I, uh, I began to look at the people's faces and begin to look at, at their response. And the people were getting blessed. The people were reaching out to God and getting blessed. And that was their expression. You know, it was an eye-opener for me. For the most part, all of these questionables are, are not such a, a, a big deal anymore. And I know that. In this church, they aren't, for which I thank God. I thank God. But what about what COVID-19 has brought? Oh, the whole COVID season has been a harsh one. It's been a harsh one for families, for churches. And folks, I, I need you to know that Carrie and I are just so thankful for our church, for the most part, that we've been, we've been spared serious damage over COVID-19. And it's because of you. And it's because of your love for one another and consideration from one another. In our church, there are some very strong opinions regarding the actual virus. There are strong opinions regarding vaccinations and masks and demonstrations. But thank you, church, for understanding each other. Even though there are these strong opinions, and I've heard the opinions privately, there's love flowing. 
You know, we've been here almost four months, and during this time, not one person has left the church angry at the church. Now, a few left before, but there were nothing serious, no lawsuits or anything like that. Not like what some churches have to deal with. Horrible. Christians will always have different convictions on things. And the Bible refers to them as questionables or opinions, uh, doubtful disputations. I love it. The King James Version puts it this way. Doubtful disputations. And doubtful issues, depending on your translation, could be a, a multitude of different things. But these aren't the important matters. The important matters are clear-cut. They're not questionable. Like the Bible is inspired. All of it is. Salvation. By grace you have been saved. Through faith. It's not by works. Nothing you've done. It's a gift of God. We know that sin is missing the mark. You know, the word for sin in the original Hebrew is a, is a target and a bullseye in the middle of the target. And anything that misses that bullseye is sin. That's the word in Hebrew. We know that. We know none of us live a perfect life. Not a single one. We're all missing the mark somewhere. We understand that. We believe it. Those are what we call the absolutes. And I mentioned those to you last week as well. Some things are always right, and some things are always wrong. And some things are wrong even before you get a conviction about them. You know how the saying goes, your conscience is only as good as what you feed it, right? I've heard Christians say, who are blatantly sinning according to the Bible, they say something like this, well, I haven't been convicted about that yet. Some things are always wrong. Some things are always right. And there is no place for questioning the things that Scripture is clear on. One more thing, and I'm still in my intro. <laughs> there are weaker Christians and there are stronger Christians. And folks, this doesn't have anything to do with how long you've been a Christian either. But no matter where you might be in your faith, you need to always be concerned with whether or not you're being a stumbling block. doesn't matter where. A stumbling block to those coming to faith in Jesus, new to faith in Jesus, or to those who are already in the faith. Everyone, all of us, need to be concerned with that. So what exactly is a stumbling block? actually not that complicated. It's simply something that gets in a person's way, like an obstacle that causes the person to trip, to lose their balance, to get offset in a way that changes their direction that they're going. That's, that's what a stumbling block is. For example, if, if you're walking down a path and you, you trip over something, that causes you to fall, or that causes you to lose your balance. Which in turn kind of stops the momentum that you're, that you're going in, right? Guess what? You've tripped on a stumbling block. And as it relates to faith, if you're the cause 
of someone falling in the faith to the point where they deny the faith or cause someone to lose their balance in the faith so that their momentum or their course changes in a negative way, you're a stumbling block. And that's not a good thing to be. In fact, that's probably one of the worst things you can be. We want to avoid being a stumbling block. Going back to Jesus' words in Mark 9, 42, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believed in me to stumble, it would be better for them to be thrown in the sea with a millstone wrapped around their head. So the question I'm asking myself today, in which I'm challenging all of us to ask of ourselves, is this plain, simple question. Am I a stumbling block? Is there stuff in my life as a Christian, first of all, that, that's hindering people coming to Jesus? Is there stuff in my life, secondly, that causes someone to fall in the faith to the point of maybe even denying their faith? Or someone losing their balance in the faith? Or their momentum or course is changing or has changed for the bad. I want us to ask ourselves some questions related to this whole question. I want us to ask these questions by following Paul's line of reasoning in Romans chapter 14. It's kind of a litmus test, kind of a litmus test for us as Christians. So I want to give you what I believe are questions that I need to ask myself, that we need to ask ourselves to find out whether we're a stumbling block. The first one is this. Am I judging or accepting those who are convinced differently on disputable matters? Am I judging or accepting? Romans 14, I want to read the first four verses. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and will receive his approval. When it comes to dealing with those who are convinced differently on the questionables, when it comes to these, these kind of issues, or patterns. There are two approaches that we can take. There are two approaches basically to take. You judge or you accept. Some followers of Jesus would judge by acting in a condescending way, like asserting their Christian authority or, or acting superior. Like it would go something like this. You just don't know any better. Your eyes will be opened as you grow. 
kind of in a condescending way. And some judge by condemning. You can't be a Christian and think that way. You can't do that. You can't be a Christian and belong to such and such a party. You heard that one? Oops. The problem isn't differences. The problem is judging is a result of differences. Like I said, there will always be differences. Paul writes in verse 3 that we have no right to judge another person in this case, for they're the servant of God. Some Christians, like the Apostle Paul, have no qualms of conscience about any, eating any kind of food, but others have scruples about, about certain, certain foods. Some, like Paul, make no distinction between more and less sacred days basically regarding every day as holy unto the Lord. Others feel that some days are more holy than others, and maybe one day of the week is more holy than the other day of the week. What happens when, when Christians of different convictions find themselves in the same church, in the same fellowship? Do they have to hash out the matter? Trying to convince and convert each other? Or maybe ask the person to step outside and duke it out? No, we need to learn to receive fellow believers who don't see things the way we do. I was talking with uh, one of you about something like this a month or so ago. and We were talking about a story told of the great preacher Charles Spurgeon from the late 1800s. And one day, he was invited to this, uh, to this pastor's luncheon in London, and the pastors had come from far and wide. They were all sitting around the tables and everything. And, and after they had eaten their lunch, what was vogue in those days was the pastors would just kind of recline back and pull out their pipes and light it and start smoking on their pipe. Well, Charles Spurgeon got up to preach, and just before he started... He asked this question, if, if Jesus walked into this room right now, right now, how many of you would feel comfortable smoking in front of him? And then he waited. Slowly, the pastors started putting out their pipes and putting them away. And Charles Spurgeon basically waited till everybody had put their pipe away. And then he said, I would, and he pulled out his pipe and lit it. <laughs> Believe it or not, people, smoking is a disputable matter. It's okay if you disagree with me. I, that's okay. It's a disputable matter. Don't judge by condemning. You know, it's really funny in, in churches how, how people who smoke or who, who cause it smoke, you know, they, they, they don't think anybody else knows it, but hey, if you're a non-smoker, you know it. You know it right away. And, and there might be even some closet smokers here in our church. I, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I've smelled things, but I, I don't know. Uh, but you know what? Never once have I heard anybody say one word about that. Not one word. 
I commend you. You see, when we, when we condemn, when we judge by condemning, we're, we're, we're doing things that we're really not supposed to do as people of God. Now, if you feel strongly about something, and, and if, you're, if you've settled it in your mind, you're not going to budge on your convictions, uh, on, on any disputable matters, or on, on voicing them, maybe on voicing those opinions, Think about Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 11. So, this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Accept and love your brothers and sisters and let God judge over those disputables himself. Look at the end of verse 4 of our text again. Verse 4, who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. We need to let God do his job. It's his department. We need to let God judge the convictions of others and stop judging them ourselves. Just remember that Jesus doesn't want to take sides. He wants to take control. Another question I need to ask myself to find out whether I'm a stumbling block is, am I fully convinced over the matters in question myself? And this will tie in with the third question. But just let this, let this resonate with you, verses 5 and 6. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than the other day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. Verse 13, verse 10 rather. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then, that person, then for that person it is wrong. Verse 23. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. We, we all know, I talked about this uh, a, a month or two ago, we, we all know we're going to be standing before the, the judgment seat of Christ, the, the Bema, Bema throne, to give an account. It's more like a, a reward uh, throne. We all know that. And we, we all, we're all going to be, all our lives are going to be looked at by Jesus. So I often think about my own life, and, and you can think about this as well. What contributes to uh, me or to us being convinced 
on these, these questionables or opinions or disputables? What, what contributes to me having such strong convictions? You know, I, I think it has a lot to do with our former lifestyle. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, what we were like before Jesus, before Jesus found us, like our past sins. And what we do is we associate certain things with uh, uh, certain outcomes, with certain actions. Family background also plays into this, as does denominational backgrounds. Uh, maybe community involvements. You're involved in community, and, you, and you, you see, you've seen the end results of somebody moving in a certain direction. I, I sat on a, on a board once for the, for, uh, uh, the, Delta, the, the Delta Youth Services, a community organization. I was the, 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 the pastor there. And uh, they wanted to do all sorts of things. They wanted to do beer gardens and everything to raise money for the youth. And I said, listen, listen, I, I just, I just want to speak to that. Because, you know, um, I... I, I, this, this is my opinion, but I have seen, you know, in my, in my office, in my position, I see the outcome of young people getting involved in those kind of lifestyles. I see it. I have to deal with it. They have to grapple with all of those, those things going on. I remember that, speaking about the end results. And they just kind of shook their heads, like, what are you talking about? Sometimes we have convictions about things because we know from personal experience where they lead. There are many reasons why people have different convictions. And it is important to be convinced about what you believe. Yes, it is. And there's a danger, even, of not being fully convinced in faith. There is, because there's a danger of being wishy-washy all over the place. We need to have a stand. We need to take a stand. That's right. In fact, there's a rule that, that I go by in my own life. When in doubt, don't. When in doubt, don't. But on another note, in some things, the world has set standards for us as Christians. That, that we would do really well to follow. It wouldn't hurt to follow the world's standards for us as, as Christians sometimes. There are some things that your co-workers expect from you or don't expect from you. And drinking might be one of those. That's a big disputable. And the question comes, am I doing this as unto the Lord? And that's what verse 6 talks about. Whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm convinced about, am I doing it as unto the Lord? You know, spirit-filled Christians can have two differing, differing convictions on this. You know, I, I've done a lot of work in Central Europe. And I, I, I work with the, the, the Polish uh, Christian church. I work with the, with the German church. And you know, there's a, there's a city called uh, uh, Gerlitz, and it's, and it's right on the border of, of southern Germany, southeast Germany. And then there's this, this city called Gerlitz, Poland, and it's right on the, on the southwest, so southeast Germany, southwest, yeah. The 20 minutes apart. And, you know, I've ministered in, in both places. So, on one hand, in Poland, it's anathema for a Christian to even come close to alcohol. In Germany, not at all. 
And you sit down at a table in a pastor's, in a pastor's house, he'll, he'll, he'll set down a big stein of beer in front of you. Get refreshed, brother. Pentecostal church, same Pentecostal church, 20 minutes apart, cultural differences. The Polish people have seen the results of alcoholism and, and just the horrors that communism and alcoholism uh, brought to their country. What was really joyful was when these two cities came together and did an evangelization crusade, and you would have never thought that they had uh, such strong opinions on this one issue. They worked together. Prince George Pentecostal Church, there's going to come a time when the body of Christ is going to come together in a big way, and there are going to be people from every kind of persuasion, have all kinds of convictions, and you're going to have to lay them aside. What a joy that'll be. What a joy. And the angels in heaven will be celebrating. Yes, we have convictions, and we stay to with, with our convictions, but we also, we also move in a spirit of love and joy. What we do, we need to do is unto the Lord, and we need to reflect Jesus in everything we do. Do we? In my convictions, do I? And if we can't answer yes to that question, then, then what we're doing is not unto the Lord, but it's unto me. I'm doing it as up to me and not to the Lord. And I had better quit whatever it is because I'm being a stumbling block for sure to somebody. To sum up the point, am I going to be just as pleased with my convictions when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ as I am now? Third question, what are the consequences on others of my convictions, of my actions. Verse 15, and if, any, and, if, and if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God. And others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable. But it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. What are the consequences on others of my actions, of my convictions? I've heard youth pastors say they're praying for one specific youth in their, in their group because if they'll change for the good, the whole group will, and vice versa. All influence people, and some of us have some of you have great influence on others. Some of you know that, others don't. But God does. The weak must learn from the strong. And if you feel you're strong, then show it by 
by not being involved with anything that would cause others to stumble. I thank God so much for, for the fact that I was able to learn that it's possible to be mature enough in the faith to walk in loving unity with and acceptance with those who have different convictions. I saw it. It was on display for me. And if the younger generation of our church, the children, see it in display, on display in your lives, it's going to have a profound effect. A right response in a church setting is always love. It's always love and to confront and love whatever the situation might be. Always to accept, to build up. This is the, that's the consequence of those who are really considering their actions. And the right reason for this type of response is to glorify God. And this really applies to the person who enjoys greater freedom. This really applies. They should never think less of others who, who might just be considered having less freedom, different viewpoints or being spiritually immature. We can either judge or accept. Judge or accept. And I believe we need to accept each other as God has accepted us. And we need to accept all of those coming into the church as God has accepted them. And that will always come when we're thinking about the consequences of our actions as it relates to our opinions. We need to think in terms of being God's agents of healing and blessing. Always. You are a special agent. Special agent. You're not only a saint. You're a special agent to bring healing and grace and blessings to people. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of, of sins. Just a, just a few closing thoughts here. We should never, never make public disputes over personal convictions. This is how church splits occur. Ugly church splits. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been a part of it. Never make public disputes over personal convictions. Disputables are, are really non-essentials. We should minor on them. Eternals. Those are the essentials. And we should major on them. And so we ask the question, am I using my time and my energy on the disputables or the eternal? I realize that in a group like this today, I realize with people watching online today that there are those who aren't followers of Jesus, who aren't Christians. And my question to you today is why not? Why not? Why are you not a follower of Jesus? Is it because of us Christians? Probably. And we're sorry. We really are. Please look past us at Jesus. That's all I can say. Look past our imperfections and look, and look at Jesus. And as us 
followers of Jesus here today, we need to ask ourselves the, the three basic questions that Paul covers, what we looked at today. We need to ask these. I don't want to be a stumbling block, and I don't think any of you do either. So let's ask ourselves, am I judging or accepting those who are convinced differently on disputable things? Am I fully convinced over the matters in question myself? Am I walking by faith, in other words? And what are the consequences on others of my convictions and actions? May the Lord help us. And may Prince George Pentecostal Church be known for its love and acceptance and kindness and forgiveness. Where the focus, it'll be known. Where it travels fast. Where it'll be known that the focus is on the eternals. Let's pray. Jason, come on up and pick up the guitar. Lord, thank you today for your word. We know how important it is to walk in love in harmony as the people of God. We know also how important it is to have convictions on things. Have convictions. But help us to know, Lord, whether our convictions are strong on the eternals, on those things or on those things that really don't matter, the hill of beans. Lord, I just pray that you would show us that by your Holy Spirit. Show us that. I pray that, Lord, you would continue to help Prince George Pentecostal Church, this great body of people. Help them to move forward in your grace. Help them to move forward with arms wide open, embracing anybody that you send their way. Also, Lord, recognizing the wolves in sheep's clothing. That only happens as the body is functioning as it should and the giftings are in operation. Lord, that's what I pray. I pray a blessing on this church, Lord. I pray a blessing on, on Pastor Scott and Carrie as they come, as they lead this great church into the testimony, the lighthouse that you want them to be. Oh, bring many, bring many, Lord. Let revival come and let it start with us. Thank you, God. And if I pray, Lord, if I, pr I pray too for Anyone who's here right now or listening, if they don't know you, I pray that they would see you in all of your perfection and glory. Oh, Lord, I pray that they would see you in all your love that you have to offer them. And they reach out to you and understand, Lord, give them understanding that the people of God are imperfect. I pray that, Lord. Lord, I pray that they would reach out to you and say, yes, Jesus, come into my life. And then they would reach out to us, Lord, for fellowship. Lord, I pray for that. Thank you, God. So, Lord, as I close this service, I pray for your blessing to rest on each one. 
I pray that your blessing to rest on our kids as they're driving back from Kelowna and, and the leaders. Pastor Tiff, Lord, I pray for your blessing to rest on them. And I pray that your, your blessing and love to shine all through us, Lord, as we go out into this week, that we would be your dynamo, your dynamite, your power expressed. Oh, Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm inviting you to come uh, for prayer if you would like prayer. We have anointing oil here. Um, and, uh, and Jason's just going to be closing our service. But in terms of uh, the service coming to an official close, that's it. God bless you folks. God bless you all.